These may be challenging times, but have hope and listen to the untold health stories about incredible people who have committed their lives to better their communities. Diverse health activists, direct medical providers, community organizers that are helping our communities to get healthier and stronger. Stories of local heroes during the pandemic and even before that proves over and over again that people can come together during times of need and make the world a better place. Stories you would never hear of, except at Healthcare Untold, hosted by Barbara Ann Garcia. Our guest today is Matt Huerta. Matt is a housing expert with over 22 years of experience in affordable housing and community development. He's developed hundreds of affordable homes, including rental and for sale, in the Sacramento, San Francisco Bay, and Monterey Bay areas. Uh, welcome to Healthcare Untold, Matt. Hi, Barbara. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. You know, your experience is so important for our communities. And as you know, housing is healthcare. And especially as we experience this whole COVID-19 and the uh, need for housing for so many of our communities. But what did you share with us how you began your career in housing and community development? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. And I am proud to come from the Central Valley of California. So as a Visalia, Fresno, Clovis kid, um, uh, I grew up not knowing that I was really working poor uh, and until I went to high school and saw a lot of kids with, uh, you know, big trucks and their own fancy cars. And I was like, what's going on around here? You know? Right. Um, and so when I went to UC Davis right out of school at um, from public school there in, in Clovis, I had to do a, uh, one of my courses was in community development at Davis. And it's kind of like a precursor. It's kind of an urban planning major. And um, it was about affordable housing. And I had to talk about my housing story. And I didn't realize until that time that I actually lived in affordable housing for about five years of my life. When I was really young until I was in kindergarten, we lived in subsidized affordable housing there in Visalia with other farm worker uh, kids and stuff running around. All I have, I have memories and pictures of us all playing around in the playground and never felt unsafe and it was great and enriching. And that's really what helped me understand how important it is, right? To have uh, stable, uh, healthy, affordable housing opportunities because um, I lived some, some of that in my own experience and my family and my parents worked really hard and kind of moved up the economic food chain as as you would have it over took many years but they got into home ownership and they mm -hmm. they um, were able to you know kind of move us into um, more uh, affluent neighborhoods along the way and um, what I realized when I was at school was that there really was a dividing line in our communities around Latinos tend to stay over here. They tend to be poor. They tend to have, you know, more difficulty with health outcomes and trouble with the law enforcement, other things. And then there's the, everybody else over here. So you, you're either kind of like a, you're a good Mexican or you're one of them. And right. because I spoke English and because, you know, I was getting good grades, I was a good Mexicano. And I didn't, I always rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I always struggled with that. And I was part of my identity when I was, uh, I reflect a lot those first couple of years at UC Davis, because that's when I learned how to unlearn the, the, that condition that we're kind of taught, right? And all these were kind of forced into these identities. And I really became more aware of my Chicanismo, right? Just, you know, having to come 
through that struggle, my family and rich history of my grandfather uh, being a bracero um, and the struggles that that of immigration that my family had gone through to get us to the point where our the grandkids, my generation, could really flourish and have the opportunities. And yet I still was one of the only ones to get out of you know, our our um, situation and actually go to a four year university right out of school. So I there was a kind of a lot of pressure there too, uh, to to be successful. And I own that. Um, that's part of what what we have to do as kind of being first in our mm-hmm. family sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I wore that with a badge of honor and uh, really started buckling down on my studies. And I always had to um, take on part-time work as well uh, to put myself through. My parents could help me a little bit here and there, but certainly I took on a lot of student debt. And so kind of grew up quick, you know, and I also had the fortune of having my girlfriend at the time, but my future wife uh, work with me and we supported each other. She actually came from the same high school as I did. So Diana and I really put each other through school at Davis and um, I found housing not only through that the um my urban planning and the community regional development work but i found an internship program and it was a specific internship program called the california rural uh coalition for rural housing and they wanted their whole mission was to try to get latinos and other uh folks from uh disadvantaged communities to be a part of and help take leadership roles in redeveloping opportunities, right, for farm workers and others in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And since I had had that in my background, I was interested in that, applied, and I was placed for a one-year paid internship at a local community development organization that was doing housing in Davis, Sacramento, Woodland, um, Winters, some other communities there in uh, the area. And I just fell in love with the space, and I fell in love with the fact that I could learn these uh, skills around how to pull together money, pull together the political, uh, you know, will to approve, get something approved, mm-hmm. started understanding how real estate works, started mm-hmm. understanding how the community uh, provides input into the process to really reach out and make sure that that happens. And all that within that kind of year's time frame made me realize that that's what I wanted to do for my career. So from, from that way, that time forward, I had looked into project management positions and I got into other nonprofits and then moved up the the ladder, so to speak, over the next 15 years or so to an executive level level role in the nonprofit housing space. And so um, and then more recently, I've started my own consulting business in about over the last seven years. And I really have the fortune of picking my clients and the work that I want to do. And it's uh, a pleasure and I focus on leadership development and also affordable housing development uh, um, work. And then the third piece is um, also supporting community initiatives where um, helping leaders or nonprofit leaders take on their key initiatives, whether that's influencing the local uh, budgeting process, um, it could be creating, you know, uh, uh, taking on a priority project in their neighborhood, whatever that may be. And sometimes it's paid, sometimes it's uh, initially not paid, uh, but that's part of the flexibility of being a consultant and a right. community development change maker, right, mm-hmm. is trying to um, just leverage everything that I have and for the community. 
That's wonderful. And, you know, um, these types of projects take a long time. But why don't we start with what is affordable housing? Yeah, so affordable housing, you know, the definition essentially is is uh, comes from the federal government. If you can pay thirty uh, percent of your income, uh, gross income, if you're paying more than that, then you have a rent burden. Um, or if you're uh, a homeowner and you pay more than that, then you have a cost burden in terms of home ownership. Most of Californians, especially on the coast, have a 60% or more uh, yeah. housing cost burden. Yeah. And so most of the, the rest of the country is in the 30 to 40% range. And then that's quickly changing, right? Housing is now a federal national issue and mm -hmm. nearing a crisis if it isn't already. It's been a crisis point in California and in our area here on the Central Coast where I'm at, and I know you have a lot of experience in as well, um, it is way past the crisis point. You know, people, only about 10% of people can afford the median priced home, which is around 800 or $900,000 right. sometimes. Right. And um, the rents uh, are just ridiculously high and the vacancy rates are so low that landlords, even, you know, when the economy is, when the economy is really good, they raise the rents. When the economy is really bad, there's nowhere else to go so they can still raise the rent. Right. And we found that through the pandemic, right, mm -hmm. um, where it really challenged the notion of affordability and stability because um, people really found out that um, if you're not uh, stably housed, then to your point earlier, then you have a healthcare condition. There's a direct, uh, a very direct relationship between whether you have uh, stable, affordable housing and health outcomes. And, and the danger that you could be put in. And it became a grave danger, right, for people. Um, and, and what we know, we could talk more about how the overcrowded conditions work, especially in our area with so many low-income farm workers and others that are doing essential work. Um, but yeah, the affordable piece is, there's a, a specific definition, but I think you get, it deserves a, a lot of conversation because there's a lot of shades about what that means for us. Right. And, you know, talking about um, how you have to help people organize around uh, supporting affordable housing in communities. Um, there's layers and layers of political processes. Why don't you share with us a couple of those layers that you feel like you have to get through to be successful? Sure. So something to remember with housing is that, you know, you need at least four critical components for any kind of housing development, especially for affordable housing. You need to have the site or the, the land available, right? And in our place, it's so expensive, right? So a lot of times you were looking at publicly owned land or some somehow you get a hold of a, a property at a discount potentially. Um, and you need, you need a subsidy. You need some kind of local, state or federal or maybe all of the above subsidy in order to underwrite, in order to make sure the rents or the prices of the homes are below what the market would do because you know market rate developers and housing developers they're in the business to create a product and sell it or rent it as high as they can Get the and i'm profit. not blaming for that mm -hmm. that's what they do mm -hmm. but affordable housing development right requires subsidy in order to um change that and take it out of that speculative market right and so that's what subsidy does for that um and then you need policy 
policy changes and policy um, that's going to allow you to actually develop high quality apartments in places where we need it. Right. And so you've heard so much that where there's a lot of, um, you know, nimbyism where it's not in my backyard. Everybody's for affordable housing until it's next to them or in their neighborhood. Then they have issues. Then, oh, we can't have it here. What about overcrowded schools? What about traffic? What about impacts to the parks? And all those, some of those may be legitimate concerns, but let's talk about how we mitigate that, right? Together, instead of no, sorry, not here. And and so the last piece, and to really answer your point around um, what it takes is political will, right? So we have, you need your property, you have money, the subsidy, you have, you need the right kind of policies that allow for these high quality affordable housing developments. And then finally, even if you have all those pieces, you can, you can still run into a lot of challenges if you don't have councils or supervisors, right, who are willing to approve and make it easier for you to get your permitting. And so for years and years, for the last 30 years or so, it, we part of the reason why we have such a housing shortage, some people estimate over three and a half million million units short in California. Wow. Part of the, the main reason is because we have not been building enough because of that nimbyism that it, we experience in pretty much every community. It doesn't matter whether it's a lower income area or high income area. Trust me, there's developments where you would be shocked to that really good proposals go in and then people on council who actually even lived in affordable housing are opposed to a new development. And so that goes back to the policy thing where we've been st changing state policies to make it easier to get through those processes and actually even take away some of the ability for the local governments to, um, you know, to not approve a project after they've met all the rules. If they meet all the rules, and they they uh, meet all the environmental uh, you know studies and conditions and they mitigate everything and they show that they've met all these uh, uh, objective standards then there's a lot of state policy that says you know what uh, you might not agree but too bad this is so important that we start addressing the housing conditions in your community that you have to approve it or you're going to get sued and they're and you you know you're going to lose in, in that court. So those things are still playing out. You probably hear about it in the newspaper. It's true. You know, the governor's taking on Huntington Beach and other. Right. this has risen to the highest levels of, of power in our political system. Uh, so you can tell how, how incredibly challenging it is when you have literally the governor, the most powerful person in our state is right. fighting, like fighting these permits, fighting for these housing permits and, and fighting these cities who aren't uh, doing their fair share. Yeah. And so it does take, you know, a community coming together and, you know, you have to kind of, I've watched you in some of these areas where you talk about how um, you can almost put your finger in the air and kind of realize in what community you're going to have the, the worst time of trying to get affordable housing in. Um, share with us a, a recent housing project you've worked on that you're, you've been really proud of, Matt. Yeah, it, it's hard to pick, but there's, there's, um, one that that is uh, finishing up construction in a, a couple um, months here, and unfortunately, it did get delayed because of the pandemic and stuff. But so I, I know exactly what people say when they say that the supply chain and right. construction costs are high and all those things. So on the development side, I'm I'm experiencing that. This development is in San Jose, and I've been working on it for about uh, three years with amazing people, with people assisting the homeless. 
path uh, out of uh, LA, they uh, were invited to come up to San Jose uh, about seven years ago to really help take on the um, just intense challenges that San Jose was experiencing around homelessness issues and Santa Clara County. And um, they've PATH has uh, been around for 40 years. They have over a thousand staff, most of which are engaged in outreach services and clinical case management, wraparound services for formerly homeless folks to get them into transitional housing. And in the last 15 years or so have really created a strong permanent supportive housing department. And, and in San Jose, they started with, with one development that was uh, built uh, with, with other partners a few years ago. And then as I was helping them about three years ago with this one called fourth on fourth street in San Jose uh, path villas at fourth street, um, the challenge there was that we had a site that was uh, involved in old, um, uh, formerly Chinese-owned uh, grocery store called Dick's Market, and people that are local might recognize that. It's, it's kind of a mainstay, and it had a huge uh, kind of green neon sign, practically, that was really uh, a, a hallmark of that neighborhood. And so we we had they had acquired that site and then ran into some opposition because some folks in Japantown and Hyde Park neighborhood areas just didn't want more affordable housing in that neighborhood. And so kind of what I was alluding to earlier, the state had really recently passed legislation that said, you know what, if if there's a really good proposal and they're including permanent supportive housing, that they're going to have at least 25 percent of the of these high quality apartments going to are going to be dedicated for formerly homeless. Then you go to the front of the line um, of the permitting process and um, get streamlined. And this project was the first one to utilize that. It's called AB 2162 uh, legislation. And it was um, uh, it was successfully, we moved it forward and, and it was the first of, of its uh, first project utilizing that streamlining in San Jose. And without that, we would not have gotten the entitlements, the approvals to actually uh, move forward with construction in time. And we would not have gotten the state financing the low-income housing tax credits that we were uh, competitively awarded, 9% tax credits that were super competitive to get. We got all that in time and started um, uh, during the pandemic. And um, it's now going to benefit uh, uh, about 92 formerly homeless seniors uh, in San Jose in just a few months here. We already have uh, about more than half of the units pretty much already pegged and ready to go for, for folks. And so we look forward to renting that up uh, in early or late spring or early summer. And so I'm just really proud of that because it's a good example of how important it is, right? We are talking about not only the subsidy that comes in because it used the local county money. Santa Clara County was one of the leaders in the state that passed a local housing measure, a $950 million measure that um, allowed for that to happen. And then um, the federal government also comes in with the, the project-based vouchers that are also very critical in serving the needs of, of folks, especially in this case, it's seniors, right? So as you know, most seniors have very limited income and fixed incomes. And so, you know, for so many reasons, these kinds of, of housing developments, not only they take a long time because of all those challenges, but once you put all the puzzle pieces together, it's a really beautiful thing. 
and it's super high impact, not only for those individuals that are being benefited, but for the whole community. And, and in this case, it's going to really, and again, this, this, that site was, um, it was, had been abandoned and it had an old, you know, building on there for over 10 years. And so no one can come here and tell me that, that it's not improving the neighborhood. That's right. And how incredible. I mean, I think it's been really important that homeless individuals coming back to being rehoused are integrated with the rest of the community because so many times they're isolated, almost segregated. And so that's a beautiful project. And what is the project called again? The housing project? Yeah, Path Villas at 4th Street. All right. All right. That's beautiful. Congratulations with that. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, Matt, I know that you've been working in Half Moon Bay. Uh, there was a, just a tragic issue there. Uh, I find found it that, you know, all of a sudden people recognized that farm workers were living in just disgraceful conditions. This particular issue, uh, there was a person who actually killed some of their um, work you know, some of the people that they worked with. Um, and as they went in and saw the conditions that people lived in, um, they were just horrendous. And not only on top of, you know, just what a tragedy uh, this was, but also um, there was also this whole call for having better housing for farm workers in Half Moon Bay. Can you share with us a little bit of the work you've been doing there? Yeah, so I, I've been recently invited to the team that's working uh, on addressing the, the housing situation there in Half Moon Bay. And just as we were talking about how to pull the team together is when this terrible shooting happened. And as, as you, you're rightfully saying it, it unfortunately, but in a, in a terrible way, right, uh, but helpful way, it drew attention that, you know, you had the governor coming to the site and actually seeing for himself, right, that uh, what a dire situation was there in terms of the living conditions and that he needs to understand and other leaders need to understand that that's, that's typical. It's, uh, that wasn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't an outlier. Our that's communities how... and our families have been living like that for decades. Um, you, you talked about your, you know, familia being in the Bracero program and how do they live, you know, in shacks. And that's, you know, that's the way it's been for decades and decades. Exactly. And so it's just, and now we're here in 2023 and we're having these conditions, right? It's just, it's just untenable and, and not acceptable anymore. So we're hoping that, um, so I was invited by uh, Ayudando a Latinos a Soñar, ALAS, and they're the lead social service agency that has been working in Half Moon Bay for decades now. And they, they have amazing leadership and a very strong board, but they're very social service oriented and so they're not in the housing development space, right? And so um, what they did was they thoughtfully teamed up with Mercy Housing out of San Francisco. And Mercy has a tremendous amount of experience uh, nationwide, and especially in California, the Bay Area, one of the leading nonprofit housing developers. So they have a really strong team. And my role is just really to help Alas um, primarily, but also the whole team understand their roles and just move as thoughtfully and, and as quickly as we can to get this uh, housing development approved in downtown uh, Half Moon Bay, which currently this concept involves about 40 units that would be for farm workers, potentially just uh, dedicated to seniors. Um, but uh, it also would include a very significant uh, farm worker housing uh, resource center. 
And so it could be really a game changer for uh, that community and hopefully just one of uh, several projects that really need to happen in the area, in the San Mateo County area. Yeah, that's wonderful, uh, Matt. It's wonderful that you're involved in providing your expertise because now this nonprofit has to learn how to manage housing. And what a, a great uh, development for them as well in having, you know, kind of expanding their abilities and uh, their footprint in that uh, in that community, literally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, so many nonprofits want are feeling the need to understand and get involved. And sometimes they're drafted into the <laughs> right. housing space, right. whether they like it or not, because that's mm -hmm. just the need of the community. Right. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I think they're probably going to stay mostly in their lane around social service, but um, their outreach and their connections and their relationship with the families that are being impacted um, is critical. And so even if they're not wearing the developer hat, the developers can't can only move so fast as what the community allows them to, right? Mm -hmm. Or should only move as quickly mm -hmm. as what the needs of the community and enrolling the community in that. So having the the uh, credibility, high credibility of a of a nonprofit like Alas uh, leading and co-leading that process is just really critical. And you know, nonprofits, you know, usually mission alignment yeah. is is yeah. good, but sometimes everybody operates differently and communicates differently. So I expect that we'll have, you know, some challenges, but again, everybody's moving as quickly as we can because um, there's, to your point earlier, there's such a high recognition that uh, something needs to happen there in terms of addressing the, the housing challenges that um, we can't turn away anymore. That's right. I mean, it can be really a good, um, process for these nonprofits who really have the trust of the community members. Um, and so it really helps the developer and any other of the systems that have to be involved in that housing. You know, you talked about um, the fact that, you know, we need millions of housing units to meet the challenge in California. Um, what would be your dream in terms of what you see that's needed for us to kind of get in that direction? Wow. <laughs> Oh man, I, I you get to be the dreamer. That. You get to be the dreamer. I thought about that, and I am. I do tend to be a dreamer. I, you know, <laughs> going back to those four things that that you need. That in my experience, you need you know the land, the money, and the policy. So I think I think we're heading on the right thing on policy. I think the the thing that we really suffer the most for suffer the most right now is is the money and the politics unfortunately because mm -hmm. i think people talk out of both sides of their mouth sometimes and they don't fully understand that you know they can support affordable housing all they want but until you put money behind that it's just not going to happen and you know the way our system works until we change it it requires a lot of money uh and you know you're in used to 40, 50 years ago, that there was one major bank. It was called Housing and Urban Development, HUD. And they built these huge towers with no amenities. And it was just very minimalist approach and just get people off the street. And that worked for like very little little time. As soon as, you know, people realized that, well, you still need to have amenities. You still need to have safe spaces and, you know, defensible space and, all these other concepts around, you know, you can't just put people in these buildings like, like, you know, that are like more like cages. Yeah. And so now we're kind of redeveloping all those sites and we're creating new units. So I guess my dream would be 
to really align um, those all these goals and and go big, right? We just really need to uh, invest the kind of resources that it's going to take to meet the needs of people where they're at. And where they're at is un unless we change people's incomes and give them more That's incomes. Right. And the, the farm worker piece is a good example, right? I saw an article earlier today that said that folks, uh, even in half that Half Moon Bay, that they saw that they were earning as low as nine or ten dollars an hour, wow. you know, and that's that's happening in this in today's age still. Mm -hmm. So until if that's not, if we're not going to address that imbalance, then if if my if my dream is contained to just housing for a second, then I would say, well, then we got to solve the how we have to uh, resource the housing solution enough to solve that. And yeah. that's going to take a lot of money. Right. And right. I don't know how many billions, but I know it's in the billions. Right. That sounds like it, Matt. <laughs> well, you know, on behalf of Healthcare and Toad, we're so proud of the work that you're doing and the work that you're going to be doing in the future and trying to uh, bring more affordable housing to our communities. So, uh, Matt Huerta, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, thank you for being one of our housing heroes. Thank you for all your support and partnership, Barbara. I look forward to working with you more. Them here. Healthcare untold. Healthcare untold. Healthcare untold.